Bulls 17. Broadcasting from deep within Combine territory. It is every citizen's duty to resist the Combine and learn the truth. Welcome everybody to another edition of Podcast 17. We hope you enjoy this week's show. Obviously, Philip is not here. I am Cubic Virtuoso, as always. Philip had other things to attend to today, so this episode is officially Let's Bash Philip episode. Well, he's not here, although I'm just kidding, but uh, some of our other guests might not be. Um, today, we have with us a plethora of guests that are um, frequent to Podcast 17. We have Editor 321 from Half-Life Creations. I'm not him. I'm Philip. <laughs> He's going to be doing Philip impression. We have Blade Singer from uh, Combine Destiny 2, which we'll be getting to in a little while. Hello. And we have a returning guest who hasn't been on the show in a while, Emmanuel, uh, also known as NoPK from Planet Half-Life. I came back because Philip died. <laughs> he was scheduled to be on other shows, but uh, he had some other things to attend to as well. Yeah, that's the story for later. <laughs> so, before we get into anything, of course, we're going to go over some podcast news. And uh, first and foremost, I want to talk about audio questions. Um, you'll notice later on in the show we will be having some audio questions. So, obviously, you can send in your own audio questions at feedback at podcast17.com, and uh, we'll play them on the show. And this week's episode, you'll hear two excellent examples of some awesome audio questions. So if anybody wants to send in some questions, feel free to do so. And if they're good enough and they're, if they're not retarded, then uh, we'll go ahead and post them. Whoa, 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 not retarded. That's, uh, that's asking a lot from uh, a Half-Life community. Well, you'll see, like, these questions today are actually pretty well done. So I was a little bit surprised. I was a little bit worried when I got the emails. I thought it was just going to be like, hey, do you know when episode three's coming out? But no, they're really, really good questions. <laughs> We'll see. We'll be the judge of that. Yeah, but uh, but we'll see. Um, also, this week we'll be releasing on our FAQ located on www.podcast17 how you guys, the listeners, can listen live. Um, we've added a whole bunch of sections to our site, and we'll be able to uh, we'll be able to provide you with those instructions on how to listen live. And lastly, we'll be putting up a survey on our website. Um, either in the FAQ section, or we'll just make a whole separate news post and uh, check out our survey. And we basically want to know what you listeners um, want to know or want to hear on the show, and where you hear or where you listen, and how long you want the show to be. We're trying to cater the podcast to you guys, so we're, we have a survey up there. And uh, if you can answer truthfully and honestly, that'd be great. Actually, the survey's already up. There's a link at the top. So check out the survey and uh, go ahead and fill out all those questionnaires. So, on with the news, I think we should go ahead and do. Our first bit of news this week is uh, something that we forgot to mention last week, and that's Sven Co-op 4.0 will include They Hunger... Um, they Hunger is obviously a mod we've talked about before in the show. It's a single-player uh, horror mod by Neil Mank, and Sven Co-op will include the whole They Hunger series. Doesn't that give anyone else a hard-on, or is that just... That's definitely good news for me. I love They yeah, Hunger. Yeah, see, and there's people like me who notoriously played only multiplayer games back in, back in the day, if you will, 
So I only played a few levels of it because I can just constantly format it. So it'll be great to actually go through the entire game with friends. It'll be nice because I know there's people out there like uh, like Philip too who hated They Hunger because it was editor. Boring. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and we and this might give him a chance to play with some friends or uh, find it a little less boring. How about Heinrich and uh, Thomas? Are you guys excited for They Hunger co-op? Oh, of course. Um, I played only the first one, but, well, I quite liked it. Yeah, I, I don't really know what to think of it quite yet, because single-player is not always good for co-op, so it'll depend on what they've done with the maps to accommodate the cooperative play audience, because if you have um, six... 10 or 12 people running around these Stay Hunger maps, does that destroy the atmosphere? Does it make it too easy? Like, I'm That's just, true. It's a good idea, but Stay Hunger was very much designed for single players, so I'm really hoping that they modified it enough that it's playable and enjoyable for multiplayer. Also, it might lose a little bit of the flair. I mean, uh, a perfect example is uh, Afraid of Monsters that was ported over to Sven Co-op. And uh, it becomes a little less scary when you play with friends and you have idiots in there that are just being like, nah, 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 and playing music or, I don't know, being retarded. I don't I don't remember the, the mod too fondly besides being scared, but I think you're right. Maybe there might be some uh, catch-ups with the uh, it being multiplayer. We'll see, though. I'm sure they've worked it out, like made the doors big enough and made sure that the number of monsters that come at you is equivalent to how many people are in the server. If not, then I'm sure someone will fix it. It is Sven Co-op, after all. How many re uh, versions and releases has it seen? Yeah, exactly. They already have such a dedicated player base, and if it's something's wrong with it, somebody will fix it, which is which is great about it. So, Okay, moving right along. Our first bit of this week's news is uh, Suicide Survival 1.0 was released. I got an email about this last night from one of our listeners, and then uh, I subsequently found it on ModDB. I wasn't able to play it, but uh, Thomas was able to play it. So tell us about this mod. What is this about? Well, the mod is essentially you have two teams, uh, the Survivors and the Suiciders. Now, as soon as I read this title, I'm thinking, what? And then I looked at these screenshots, and how it works is, is that it's literally taking place in a garden where the survivors have to obviously survive. And what the suiciders are, they're shrubs, and the player models look like the shrubs that are in the garden. So if you're not moving, you can't tell what's a map brush and what's a player. And as soon as these shrubberies get close to the survivors, they can explode, killing themselves and the survivors uh, along with them. I actually have to apologize to James. He wanted me to play this mod last night with him. But I'm like, oh, I don't want to. I'll play it some more. And then I ended up installing it and playing a little bit of it anyway. So he'll kill me for that. But it was simple fun. And I was like, I'm going to be playing this for a while. See, I love mods like that. That's so ingenuitive and just crazy. I adore it. And I think I've had that dream once. And I remember being really scared. <laughs> It'll be cool to actually play it. I remember... Uh... On other podcasts, we were talking about you know mods that just pop out of nowhere and release something without anybody knowing, and this is a perfect example. Nobody knew anything about this mod, and you get this you get this email saying you get this you have this gameplay where it's survivors versus suiciders, and it's about shrubs and about gardens and learning garden skills. And I was like, what the hell? This makes no sense. But this looks awesome. 
I'm playing it as soon as we're done. Anyway, be careful. Be careful, be careful online. Yep, the uh, shrubs will get you. I'm actually, like I said, <laughs> looking forward to playing that. I haven't heard about it yet. Yeah, and it's it's still fairly new in the recording of this podcast, but uh, by the time we release the uh, version online, it'll probably be out in the open and on Planet Half-Life and on the front page of ModDB, so there'll most likely be more people playing it. Are there a lot of people playing it right now, Thomas? Uh, I have absolutely no idea. When you were playing last night, though, were there a lot of servers? or? Um, There was a few. Like, I think I grabbed it like, maybe a few hours after it was released, so it, there wasn't too many servers up, but the servers that were there were pretty packed. That's good. That's good to hear. It means it's uh, getting some acclaim. So that's that. Uh, check that out. The, show, the link will be in the show notes, and you can play with us. Um, hopefully we can play with some listeners, too. That'd be cool. Anyway, moving on, though. On previous episodes of the podcast, we talked about a mod called Dav Sub and how it was for one only. Well, now there is a Steam patch for DavSub, which allows you to play it over on your Steam installation, so you don't need one. And uh, this mod looks pretty cool. I haven't played it yet. I haven't been able to try out the Steam stuff, because it's still fairly new news. But uh, it's out. Has anybody played this mod? You know those emails you send out that have all the mods we should be playing? Yeah. I don't, I don't think any of these mods are on that list. I added these this morning, that's why. So they're kind of late Yeah. Today. So when you get a million emails tomorrow saying, your, uh, your people suck, I'm going to laugh because we didn't play any of these because you suck. And they're right. <laughs> well, like I said, it was released this morning, so uh, I don't expect anybody to have played it, but it's definitely a point of topic. I'm looking forward to anything of that nature. And especially right. if they've gone through the hassle of releasing on one and Steam. Yeah, uh, I mean, they obviously care. They obviously care about their mod, and uh, it looks pretty cool. Here's a sad bit of news for this week. Um, if you recall, if you're a hardcore listener, you know that uh, we follow a mod called Project Resident Evil. Because uh, when we started the podcast... Aww. No, it died. Oh, who didn't see that coming? <laughs> a Resident Evil mod dying. Oh. <laughs> um, when we started the podcast, the mod was first announced. So the mod is as old as the podcast. So it was something interesting to follow as we did a week by week uh, content type thing. But yes, uh, on November thirtieth, they decided to close their doors. But they released uh, the Resident Evil Unfinished pack, which is the mod in all its glory, or all its current glory, um, as it is right now. So you can download it, and uh, to, give it, to give the listeners uh, a boost in their memory, this is the mod where we were talking about the uh, loading transition maps with the doors, and it would play the uh, door cutscene or whatnot, and we played through that and talked about that. But uh, the Unfinished pack is released, so you can play it, even though there's not much to it, I'm assuming, but it's out, but it's also good. Yeah, I think it's probably not going to be that good. No offense to the creators, but I've already played Resident Evil 15 times through its 18 iterations, so I'm good. I don't need to play it. Unless, of course, they, they do something really cool, like make them... Well, no, there's nothing you can do cool with Resident Evil, so never mind. <laughs> Why, you know what actually pisses me off? Why don't we see more Parasite Eve or uh, 
Silent Hill mods, because those were good horror games too, and no one ever takes the time to to redo those. That's true. I just think there's a bigger uh, bigger fan base for Resident Evil. Definitely not Parasite Eve, though. I mean, I know tons of people who haven't played that game. Silent Hill surprises me too, though. Oh yeah, when it comes to pure unadulterated fear and just being terrified, I think that game does a way better job. I do too. Um, Silent Hill does a better job at scaring you mentally with their screwed up level design and everything that's going on. And Resident Evil does a good job at scaring you, like, spook style, like, blah, in your face. See, but it's tough to to do the scary thing in a first-person shooter. You have to, it's a lot easier to make that ambiance come out when you're in a third-person or a, uh, and what, what kind of viewpoint is it called when you're just watching the person walk around a room like in Resident Evil? I guess third-person adventure. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's hard to do that. Um, I know... Are you guys familiar with uh, Ragnarok Arena? Yeah, we had, oh, yeah. Uh, we had yeah, the guy Ackart. on here last week. Yeah, Ackart, uh, the chap who designs it. Um, he When he was doing Ragnarok Arena, and namely now that he's doing uh, another project on Source, the biggest... The biggest fight he has is getting the engine to do what he wants with the camera. It's almost impossible to get the camera to do anything besides sit in the middle of your face and look forward. Yeah, if the listeners remember, last week we had Acard on, and he was talking about uh, his new source mod, which is going to be um, a sort of RPG-ish third-person mod for Half-Life Source. It's going to be cool. And uh... oh, oh, then I have news for you guys. He, that's done. He got bored of it. Are you serious? He's, yeah, but he's going back to doing uh, Ragnarok Arena Source, so rejoice. Oh, okay. Well, it's that's okay. Ragnarok Arena was still a really, really good mod. It was fun. Absolutely. Oh, well. There's, there's some more news that's not even on the schedule. See, this stuff just flourishes within us. See, I'm not useless. Who said I was useless? <laughs> Absolutely right. We can use you to mop the floor. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a janitor. That's what I am. <laughs> All right, more news. Um, first off, we're going to be talking about Firearms 2 Media. They released a really cool media set of uh, what's going to be included in the source version of Firearms. And I thought it might be a good idea to read this summary of what the fire, the original Firearms team wrote and uh, the history behind the two Firearms mods that are out there. Um so, I'm just going to... Oh, God. L- l- first you, no. of all, let's put up a warning. Do you like to watch Young and the Restless? Do you think MySpace is a cool website? If you've answered yes to either of those, then you're probably going to like the next five minutes. <laughs> I just think it's a good idea because it's so confusing out there for the listeners. There are two Firearms 2 mods, and I think the Firearms team does a really good job of explaining why there are two Firearms 2 mods. Um, obviously there's some drama, and there's some hatred, and there's some hacking involved, but, uh, it really sets some groundwork. I'm just gonna read the short version, but the long version is, is up. We'll put the link on here. And, long uh... Long version? The long version is... No, version. <laughs> no, you said version. Okay, so the short version. Here we go. When Source was out and Firearms was still in production, a Source mod started up under the name Firearms Revival. We, the Firearms team, spoke with them to come to an agreement. They could recreate Firearms from scratch, but they agreed not to use our names. 
The same can't be said for the Firearms 2 team, who kicked off their mod in August 2005 by hi hijacking the Firearms Farms, FTP, and servers using backdoor access supplied by our service provider, Recon Gamer. Every single team member and most of the forum admin slash mod staff were banned, and we lost our art source and personal files stored on the server. As a result, this website was rebuilt from our archive sites. The server takeover didn't affect the domain name, so the firearms team still controlled those. For a while, they redirected to the site of our follow-up mod, World at War. The firearms team argued with the firearms 2 team for quite a while, to no avail. Valve also refused to get involved. I don't even know why they assumed Valve would get involved. Anyway. Yeah, really. Like, are they just the international nannies now of people who don't know how to grow up? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. Valve would not get involved. It's I don't know why they assumed that. Exactly. I mean, you have to beg and plead with Valve just to help them get your mod up on track if you need help with the source. Let alone them, you know, just help you decide your differences. <laughs> anyway, eventually the firearms team prevailed upon former firearms team leader Eric Smith to intervene. When he found there was no legal ground to stop the firearms 2 team, he lent them his conditional support. Thus ended the firearms team quest to stop the firearms 2 team from making firearms 2. However, a le year later, the firearms team, now the World at War team, is still angry. Firearm 2 continues to capitalize the good name of a mod that they never created nor stewarded. They wish to sweep the hijacking incident under the rug as if it weren't relevant to who they are and what they've done. For us, this aftermath of this was like being kicked in the groin and others telling us to just forget about it. That was the crushing pain. That crushing pain was the past. At this point, we accept that th these people will continue trying to make firearms too. We can't stop them. For the players out there, remember that this mod started by fellow players who perpetrated this against us. For fellow modders out there, remember, this could happen to you, and if it does, may God have mercy on you, because you can't do anything about it. First of all, neither of them are going to release, so this is just pointless. It's been yeah, four years, it's been four years now, and all they have is screenshots still, and a video in which they showcase their completely mediocre everything. It's just stupid. It really is. And though you want to know the way to win? Release first. Just go ahead. Go ahead, Farm Source. Just release. Because I know Firearms 2 isn't. Because on their website right now, they still have blue-shaded model WIPs. It's, they're not going anywhere. Just release. And don't worry about it. You know, I, I really think, you know what? It's the Firearms uh, team's fault. Like Nick is saying, um, if you fail at security and maintenance, this is what's going to happen. You should be doing regular backups. Podcast 17, we do regular backups every week, and uh, we make sure all our stuff is locked down properly, and we know uh, what to do. We do it daily on the database. And to top it all off, um, I don't know. I don't know what to say about uh, um, mod intellectual properties. Do you think Firearms officially owns the intellectual property? Do you think anybody can take it away from them, though? Yes, they they somehow managed to own the intellectual property of army guns with uh, with uh, shooting and uh, flag. I guess they've somehow taken that away from everyone else. You know, Frontline Force didn't do that, and neither did the million other mods that came out for Half-Life do it either. Yeah, but do they own the name Firearms? I really think they should have well, got a copyright on the name. If well, they care. Honestly... They've had how many years of making firearms to, to get a head start? I mean, if I, if, I, if I play both of them and I don't know which one 
has the original creator, then they didn't do their job right. I agree too. And maybe I think uh do you think a little bit of the attack here had some something to do with a backlash of uh fans not wanting to wait for firearms two for so long, so they decided they were gonna make their oh. own? You you know that there was some tomfoolery on the other side. They're they're not gonna admit to it. I mean, every mod has its stupid little drama, and I'm sure there was some stupid little drama coinciding with their mod being taken over. So we'll see. Yeah, anyway. Uh, Thomas or Heinrich, you got anything to say about firearms and the whole drama? Uh, yeah, I do. And uh, I'm really going to have to disagree with uh, you and Emmanuel. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from experience here, but we're not going to get into that. Um, when you have a security issue like this, it's usually because someone that you think that was trustworthy isn't. And that is a, that's a large problem because when you're creating these projects, you have to realize that it's very remote. You have to give someone access or nothing's going to get done. And the way that I view the problem is, is that they just simply trusted the wrong person and they paid the ultimate price for it by essentially having their mods stripped from them. I think that something should be done. Something should be done that these other projects go away to the dinosaur. And I think Emmanuel's right in the sense that it's not going to be a huge issue because I do not see any of these source firearms projects being released. Uh, they're almost ready to join the vaporware, like uh, No More Room in Hell. Like, that mod was in development before uh, Half-Life 2 was even released, and I don't think it'll ever see the light of day, you know? And if and the way to win this fight is just to release. Simple as that. Because the other one isn't going to release. And if they do release, it's going to be garbage. Because they were just so busy with this stupid drama. And he's right. Usually in security issues like this, it's because you trusted someone that you shouldn't have. Even though they seem trustworthy. So probably one person being an ass ended up making this huge problem. But honestly, I think uh, just release and get it over with. And if it's good, it's good. If it isn't, then no skin off of the player's back. That's true. I mean, clearly their motivation is skewed towards something else. Their motivation is skewed towards the drama within their mod. If they've, if they've only, if they could redirect that motivation towards actually developing the mod, then maybe they could release something. But at this point, I think it's just gone so out of control that nobody even cares anymore. They just want to play something. Well, all I can say is that when, when and if they arrive, I'll try them both. Yeah, and we'll all play them both. Everybody will play them both. So I don't know what the issue is. Who cares? And people will pick the ones they like better. Yeah, I'll play both until I realize which one's better, like everyone else will, and I'll play that one. Right, so it'll just be like uh, whoever, I don't know, whoever makes the better mod will win, clearly. That's if they even release. Anyway, I just wanted to let the listeners know about the history behind firearms because we talk about it, and uh, I know there's a little bit of confusion. I thought they wrote a really good... Summary. Anyway, okay, moving right along. There's two maps that were released on FPS Banana that I got a chance to try out. Uh, one of them is really good, and one of them is really bad. Um, the first one is SP Train Station, and it's actually really, really fun. This one I had a good time playing. It's uh, two mag in total, but it's about 30 minutes of gameplay. And uh, you basically battle yourself, battle through a train station, fighting things and killing other things. And the second one is uh, Starship Troopers version 2, and if I see another Starship Trooper map in Source, I'm going to hang myself, because I hate mm -hmm. playing these damn maps. Oh my god. 
But uh, yeah, that's pretty bad. It's you don't even start with weapons. It seems like everything's just a copy now. People are copying firearms. People are copying Resident Evil. People are copying Starship Troopers. Did you guys get a chance to play the train station map though? Because that was really good. Well, all you listeners out there, I suggest you play Train Station, because it's a good map. Well, is that for Half-Life 2 uh, single player or a deathmatch? It's a single player map, yeah. Oh, well, oh, so it isn't a mod, they just released one of those uh, single player mappy dealies? Yep, yep. I like those. Yeah, it's nice, it's nice and quick and fun, and you just download something really small, and you throw it in your maps folder, and you go ahead and play. But anyway... Um, I just wanted to talk about those two maps that were on FPS Banana. Um, our next bit of news is a mod we like, we love talking about. It's called uh, Curse, and this is probably my most anticipated mod uh, currently for Half-Life 2. They released a whole bunch of media and uh, screenshots. They're displaying their new Worm Demon, which is essentially, like... It's hard to explain this enemy, but if you watch the video, you understand. But uh, you walk in a room, and it's covered in maggots. And this enemy spawns from the conglomeration of all the maggots, and he kind of creates himself. It's really cool. I've never seen anything like it in Half-Life. And uh, these maps are so beautiful. You guys take a look at this Curse Media? Uh, yeah, I'm actually just looking at it now as you were talking. And uh, the architecture actually reminds me of something similar to... Uh, Pirates, Vikings, and Mike's Swords, which is, to me, a very awesome game. So seeing this kind of level of detail as well is, you know, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah it looks, looks really good. I like. Here's the, here's the problem, though. Will it be fun? Well, it'll be like a puzzle game, I think. So if you enjoyed Portals or if you enjoyed, say, The Trap for uh, Half-Life 1, then you'll definitely enjoy Curse. Actually, you know what? This brings up something really important. If you watch one of these videos, they it demonstrates this. The sounds are amazing, and so are the uh, so is the music. And I got a chance to play to finish um, uh, Stairway to Heaven. No, I'm kidding. What is it called? Uh, Coastline to Atmosphere, and that had some of the best music in a mod I've ever had. Uh, and I have to say, it makes such a freaking difference. It's like the difference between playing a Nintendo game and a PlayStation 3 game, it's just amazing. Such a, it's such a, it just adds so, so much more ambiance to it, and makes it much more enjoyable. I, I think mod developers need to pay more attention to that. Yeah, that's a good point. So anyway, keep an eye out on uh, Curse because Curse looks like an awesome mod. Oh my god. Yeah, looking at these videos, it seems like they're almost done with it. Well, it looks like they're concentrating on two maps right now because that's really all they're showing off. But uh, they they probably have a lot more maps that need to be done. I think that's if if they are delayed a little bit, that's probably why they're probably making more environments and more maps. And that's a lot of work. Their maps are so beautiful. I can imagine how much work they put into them. Yeah, absolutely. This reminds me a lot of a mod. Uh, God, I forget the name, but they did it as a thesis and on source. And in the mod, you didn't get any guns or anything, but you just picked stuff off stuff up off of the uh, out of the world and threw it at people. And that was your weapon. It's pretty cool. Um, I know Poke 646 was a thesis project, but it wasn't for Source. Oh, yeah. That, that was really good. The sequel sucked, but that was pretty good. Yep. 
Anyway, okay, we're going to move right along, and uh, next we're going to go into the mod updates, so to speak, and uh, Diprep released an update. Have you played this, Emmanuel? I know you're into Diprep a little bit. Uh, yeah. Um, I love Diprep. I just wish they would, you know... Well, I, actually, I, I can't chastise them for releasing bit by bit, but I would love to see it completely finished, everything implemented. My biggest gripe is that there aren't as many game modes as there should be. Like in... Twisted Metal, you had all these cool little stupid game modes. That's, I think that's going to be their saving grace. Well, it definitely looks cool. I haven't even played Dip Rep yet, but I know I watched your video review on Planet Half-Life, and I think it looks great. Uh, Thomas, yeah, have it... you played? To be honest, um, these games that have cars with guns on them and stuff to quote Philip to me is boring. <laughs> yeah, but... First of all, if you look at the screenshots, these are some of the most well-done source screenshots I've ever seen in my entire life. They're just beautiful. But more importantly, they've they haven't just half-assed it. Um, if you remember a mod called Half-Life Rally, they went and they just essentially modified the game engine just a bit to make it work for them. Whereas Diprip, they actually sat down and rewrote their own code for uh, vehicle manipulation, and it is really good. It warrants a play, even if you don't like this kind of game. Because it's just so smooth and it's just brilliant. I would check it out. And you're right, though. There isn't much depth to it yet, but I'm sure, they'll, I'm sure they're going to do something to make it more enjoyable for the people like you. Not that you guys are dumb or wrong, but <laughs> you, uh, you should definitely check it out. It's just, it's like, it, you, there's a difference between people who like to play soccer and people who like to play chess. This is more soccer. It's, it's kind of just simple... Go out there and play it, and you don't really have to think about it. Well, that's a good way of putting it. But how's the update? Um, can you tell us a little bit of what's included in it? For anybody who plays Diprep up there? Mm, that's a lot to say Are about they that. like... Mm. Yeah, nothing much? Okay. Well, it's out there, so anybody who plays Diprep, be uh, aware. Well, Our next actually, bit of new... the more important thing to note is that since this is one of those Steam official dealies, the update is applied automatically. You don't have to actually go and download it. That's true, so uh, don't even worry about what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. Talking about Steamworks, Dystopia announced that they're coming out on Steamworks, and the reason they were taking so long is because they are utilizing the full Steamworks features, meaning they will have more advanced statistics than TF2, and they will be having achievements. Um, they have a video up on their website that's showing the Statistics and Information System 2.0, um, which is incredible, the stuff that they track. Um, Dystopia was always on my list of things that needed to be Steamworked, and I was wondering why it, it never came, but this is the reason. Um, they are doing the whole shebang, and this mod is going to be great as soon as it's released on Steam. Mm, I really liked it, don't get me wrong. It's just, I hate the idea that if it comes to a game developer, I don't mind that they're wasting time doing the stupid little achievements and all that, but when it comes to a mod developer, I'd like to see them worry more on models and animations and getting new stuff out. This seems like a time sink to me. Yeah, but you can't ignore the statistic tracking that's coming out too, which is really cool. Alright, as long as you don't waste a bunch of time on it, I'm cool with it. <laughs> Thomas or Heinrich, have you guys ever played Dystopia? Nope. Uh, I haven't played since the first version, so I haven't, don't have much to say. 
Yeah, see, this is one of those mods that's been up for literally decades, so it's hard to kind of keep up with it because you're either into it where you play consistently or you play it every once in a while just to check out what's going on because it is in your cup of tea. It wasn't my cup of tea, but I, I wanted it to be because I love the neopunk thing, and they just didn't do it in my steez, so I'm kind of waiting for them to kind of have it fall into my niche. And talking about Neopunk, we're all about segues today. Uh, Neo Tokyo came out with some new media. Uh, the link will be oh, in the show God. notes. You know what? I like this. This looks cool. These Neo Tokyo shots look amazing. Like, it's like a whole different game. What do you call, um... Yeah, Vaporware. Is that what you call it? See? <laughs> I guess so. This mod right here. This is perfect. This is exactly what I'm looking for. It's got that cool, futuristic, kind of ghost in the shell, haha, video games attitude, but at the same time, it's kind of modern and interesting, and it's never going to come out. Yeah, I don't know. It, yeah. it just looks cool. It does look cool. It, this is probably the coolest looking mod for Half-Life 2, period. Probably the coolest looking mod I've ever seen. It's just... The, I'm looking at the front page right now, and it's so minimalistic and Bauhaus. It's just delicious, and I wish they would release it, but... They're so busy looking cool, I don't think they're actually going to have time to make them up. <laughs> I'm not too sure about that, because I'm looking at the screenshots, and a lot of them seem to be taken in-game. And that's one of the big things that you know vaporware mods have the problem with, is that they'll release all these pictures and renders and stuff, but there will never be anything in-game. Where these guys seem to be producing in-game shots, so... But we'll keep in see. mind... These see, in, if you look at an in-game shot of Dystopia, you think, oh, "Wow, it's not going to play anything like Half-Life 2." Because look at the crosshair and the, and the squares on people, and ooh, the guns. But as soon as you get in the mod, it's just, "Oh, the guns shoot exactly the same, and they make the same silly noises." And oh, look, I run really slowly. Great. So unless they do something to blow me away in terms of, of of gameplay, I don't see myself getting pulled into that. If anything, you're right. The, the just the the lure of the the graphics and the cool style might keep me playing. But well, I think it'll have a lot of com competition with Dystopia because it's a lot of the same stuff. So I mean, players are eventually just going to decide whether they stick with what they know or they stick with what's new. If I if I had to go purely on what I've played from Dystopia and what this game seems to be focusing on, I bet I'll enjoy this one more because it seems more it seems more team play oriented and less um, like hacking and all these like map based uh, objectives and stuff. It's, it just seems a little bit more running gun attitude and that's always been my style. Um, something that we kind of skipped here is that Neo Tokyo, I believe, made a release for uh, Unreal Tournament 2004. So... Yes, yes, that is exactly what I was... Okay, thank you. I, I knew I was forgetting something. They they were the ones who did it, right? Uh, they seem to be in association with them, so I think that might increase their chances of actually uh, releasing. But let me get this straight. It wasn't called Neo Tokyo, right? It was called something else. Um, it seems to be just Neo Tokyo Unreal Tournament 2004. I don't see any different names when I do a Google search. See, I played that, and I had a, I remember being in the MRC server and a few of the people showing an Uber around, and it was actually really interesting. And 
they had cloaking and all this really cool stuff, but the engine sucked, so they didn't really have much to work with, but it was pretty sweet. Well, that's good. That's a good sign, then. We'll see. I, it's, I just wish they would... Well, no. See, I'm torn between my want of them to just release stuff so I can see how they're going along, but at the same time, I want this to be biblically good because I've been really looking forward to this. Yeah. And it's so pretty. You just don't see mods anymore where it's just like, ah, you're so pretty. I just want to look at you. Look at you. It's just like Curse. Curse is pretty too. I love that. Yeah, but I don't have a, a hard-on for this neopunk, like, Japanese kind of like cyber thing, so this is perfect. <laughs> All right, Nate, uh, Thomas, why don't you tell us about uh, Arrangement? Yes, I was just about to do my Philip voice saying Segway. Anyway, <laughs> because since we're talking about beautiful mods, uh, I'm going to bring up Arrangement here. Uh, I mentioned them the last time I was on, but uh, since then they've released a uh, closed beta to a few select people, and this is the first that anyone will be hearing that this beta has even been released. Um, that being said, I'm not supposed to mention anything uh, spoiler-related, but I can tell you with the utmost certainty that Arrangement will be releasing graphics that have never before been seen in the Half-Life engine. Can't elaborate any more than that? I don't know. I think if I... Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a whim and hopefully Sysop won't kick the crap out of me here. Um, but there, like you've, if you've seen any of the Arrangement screenshots, you'll already know that there's... Uh, Source-like water, um, I think he slipped in a few uh, screenshots of particle effects, um, but my god, does this thing ever play awesome. Um, there are some RPG elements in a first-person shooter that I've never seen done as well as this, and simply the amount of options and choices that you have in a Half-Life mod and how beautiful it looks... I, I, I can't get over how good this mod actually appears. They, he has pretty much crammed Half-Life with just about as much uh, en uh, words engine rendering as possible. And I think when Arrangement does get released, and it will, that everyone's going to be looking back at Half-Life again. Well, that's, ex that's exciting to hear. Wait, it's for Half-Life? Yeah, Half-Life 1. There's plenty of good Half-Life 1 mods out there that release after Source. Yeah, of course there are, but uh, I think what uh, Thomas is trying to say is that, uh, you know, this gives you the graphics capabilities of Source in the Gold Source engine. Hmm. That sounds a little too... It must, it must run like ass or something. Oh... Far from it, my friend. That thing runs smooth, smooth, smooth. Hmm. I really like Source, though. Well, we'll have to see when the, when the images come out. But from what you say, it sounds awesome. I can't wait. You should talk to uh, um, the creator and see if we can do a beta and talk about it. Which leads us into our next segment with uh, Heinrich... And uh, we were lucky enough to play Combine Destiny 2, the uh, closed beta or the closed alpha or whatnot, the work in progress, so to speak. And we have Heinrich on the show to uh, talk about 
what he has in store for us when it's actually released. Alright, so um, I'm just going to talk real quick about my impressions of uh, Combine Destiny 2 of what I thought about this. Hopefully, hopefully I don't give away too much. I'm not going to talk much about the story or what goes on in the maps. But uh, I just want to kind of correlate it against Combine Destiny 1. When I, when I got the link to play Combine Destiny 2, I decided I was going to first play CD1 and uh, to kind of give an idea. And I'm just going to run down my list of things that I love about this mod over uh, the first iteration. And maybe, Heinrich, you can talk about it, and then everybody else can throw in their stuff. But uh, first off, this mod is amazing. Um, the lighting is so much better in CD2 than it is in CD1. I found that a lot of the CD1 areas were insanely dark um, and uh, the map design is greatly improved um, and the UI, the user interface that you guys have in store for uh, the people who are going to be playing this mod is so awesome um, and it's so much more squad based. The mod is extremely more squad based than CD1. Um, like, I don't know, I don't know how much we're able to give away, but do you want to talk about the UI system, Heinrich, so I don't give anything away? Well, you could talk about it, but to hear your impressions. Well, I just think, uh, the whole idea of the Combine, or your Combine squads following you, and you being able to know what the Combine are targeting on, um, makes for a much more strategic gameplay aspect. Um, to give you guys an example who are listening, when you're playing the game, um, you kind of have an overlay of, uh, circles, so to speak, and blue circles mean friendly, and red circles means your friendlies are targeting those enemies. So, when you're with a squad of Combine... Um, you're walking down, say, a hallway, and you approach a whole bunch of zombies, and you'll, you can tell where your allies are targeting and where they're firing, so you can concentrate your fire on that certain area, which is awesome. It's such a good system, in my opinion. I really liked it, I, and I especially like the, uh, the movement system and working with Combine. I've never really been able to experience that, so it was really cool to actually sit down and have a squad essentially because squad has always sucked in in these games but um they pulled it off and if you get too far away it'll tell you and your teammates actually work with you and i like the targeting system that they've implemented i really like it yeah like um the, when i first played uh combine destiny 2 i had combine destiny 1 in the back of my brain and i'm like that was an okay mod so i went in I'll be honest, to, with into Combine Destiny 2 with a lot lower expectations. And I saw the heads-up display and the overlay, and I completely forgot about Combine Destiny 1. That overlay is so awesome. I, I just, like you guys have already <laughs> said it, the, the circles and just how that whole system works with targeting, I, I think something that needs to be noted, too, is that these circles can be seen through the walls, right? So you know, okay, my pal is on the other side of that wall targeting an enemy that I can't see yet, but I know that there's an enemy there. And like that, to me, allows me to think on a higher level in the tactical situation, knowing that, okay, I'm going into the situation other than going into a room and like, oh, a zombie, ah, oh, zombie. I'm like, okay, you know, one of my guys is already in here. He's engaged with uh, what seems to be at least one target, so I need to go in there knowing that I'm going to be shooting something. Um, Emmanuel mentioned something about the pathfinding, and um, one thing that really bothered me about CD1 
was uh, the pathfinding that the Combine had were was uh, a little bit confusing. Sometimes they would get in your way, they would block doorways, um, but now the pathfinding is so much better, and I think it's a combination of uh, you guys seem to be caring more about the pathfinding system, and uh, you know also that you're using the orange box um, version of Source, which is nice too. Another definite, definite needed upgrade. Um, but it's I also went into the mod with uh, a little bit of low expectations because I wasn't really a fan of Combine Destiny One. But I am definitely now a fan of Combine Destiny. And this game, if if there's anybody on the fence out there who played CD1 and say, ah, I'm not sure much about CD2, this this game will change your mind, guaranteed. Um, the maps are a little bit more linear, but maybe we can talk about the outdoor fighting scenes when, you're, when you and a bunch of Combine friendlies are fighting against a whole bunch of rebels. I've never been immersed in such a strategic... Um, environment in a single player mod than I have with Combine Destiny 2. Um, you really have to plan your attacks and it's it's just amazing. Do you guys remember the whole outdoor fighting scenes? Yeah, I do and uh, is I remember distinctly when I was out there, I'm like wow, this is kind of like Brothers in Arms and Half-Life and it doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah. See, that's a, Brothers in Arms did suck but uh... It was cool. To, I I love those open environment fights, like you said. I've always had good fun with them, and I, I especially love when it's pulled off well. Yeah. Yeah, squads are quite a large part of the mod, so we are focused on that. Now, a couple of suggestions that I could have, um, and then maybe you can talk about the mod and uh, how far into development it is and some of the other features that we missed. Some improvements that I think uh, should be needed is uh, voiceovers instead of the printed messages. I thought the printed messages in Combine Destiny 1 were a little weak. Um, you know, the little overlay of status messages from uh, headquarters messaging you. I think you guys really need some really good voiceovers, and that would make for a much, much better gameplay mechanic. And Absolutely. Uh, it's not anything against your mod. It's just having voiceovers is so much more immersive, especially if you do them well. If, if I had some Combine throaty meaty voice in the back of my head saying you get get back into formation i think i think that'd be really cool yeah we will have voices oh great okay cool. so that's already in development that's great yeah, that'll be cool. and you can tie it in with the ui too because i've never seen anyone do that having the ui actually uh like if you point at a target it'll say target acquired or how many targets you have that uh, I mean, how many friendlies are attacking that target? Well, but also, that might be a way of seeing as how you're not really fighting in situations like that. But we'll see. I, I, you guys just do what you do because obviously you've done a good job up to this point. You know better than we do. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, last episode we were talking about mods that uh, give you a different perspective other than Gordon Freeman's, like Point of View, for example. And I think Combine Destiny gives you a great perspective of the Combine. They're extremely technological, and Combine Destiny 2 really shows that. Um, just even with the advanced targeting system that they have, that alone shows, uh, like, immerses you in a different way than Half-Life 2 does. And it's nice, because you have that advantage over the Rebels, but at the same time, the Rebels have the sheer numbers against you that make it difficult. So I think you guys are really doing a good job at showing the Combine's... Uh, 
uh, aspect of this. Anyway, um, Bladesinger, you want to talk about the mod and how far into development you are, and what's it about for everybody who doesn't know what Combine Destiny is? Okay. Well, it's a sequel to the first one we made uh, three years ago, I think. So, it's been in development for three years now. Um, I, We are somewhere along uh, perhaps 70% done or something. And are there any other features that we missed? Um, like, obviously, we talked about the UI. Is there anything you want to talk about that's really uh, unique? Well, we have uh, an APC, from the Combine APC. Um, yeah. We've also added bullet penetration, ricochet, and uh, night vision. Ooh, actually, the night vision was cool, too. I love those effects. Why did you make the game look so good? Now, all of a sudden, all these other mod developers are going to have to come out and start using the Orange Box SDK, too, because they're not going to be able to keep up. It's just, it, I loved the uh, all the particle effects and, and some of the lighting I could tell, especially when you first started up you, and you see the ship coming by. You can definitely tell that it's got the new uh, Orange Box lighting. It looks so much better. Was it hard yeah. to implement that? Uh, no. Then why, not, why doesn't anyone else do it? What the hell? All these mods can be doing it, but they're not. Well, it's now, quite simple, actually. Now, Blade, are you doing this by yourself, or are there other people um, that are helping you out with this in terms of models or anything? Uh, no, we are a team of... Uh, well, it depends. We're, I think we're around seven people now, or six or something. That's good. See, I've... Another thing. Do you find it easier to work with six or seven or eight people as opposed to 20 or 25? I mean... Obviously, it's easier, but do you think it's it, it the the benefits outweigh the negatives of not having enough people to do a lot of work? I prefer a small team because a large team might be difficult to handle. Yeah, it it and you guys have done such a great job with only six or seven. I, most some of my favorite mods are done with a small amount of people, like Neo Tokyo. That was done with I think six as well. No, seven. Pretty small amount of people. Yeah, for sure. Um, you just reminded me of something, actually, when you were talking about the Combine APC that you guys are working on. Um, one thing that I really loved about this mod was I was no longer afraid of the familiar sounds that I was afraid of in Half-Life 2. Like, for example, when you're in a room, when you enter a new room and you hear the sound of, like, a Combine chopper or a Combine attack vehicle or whatnot, or even a Strider, you know, I'm... I'm elated with uh, with a sense of security instead of a sense of fear that I had in Half-Life 2, which is awesome. It's such a good feeling. It's, it's totally new and foreign to me. Yeah, a lot of people mentioned that, and we think it's a good, uh, good thing. It's great. Even having the... Uh, the little observation eye things. I forget what they're called, the scanners? I think they're called scanners. Even having little scanners follow me around like I, like I was their friend it was it was awesome. I, I felt like I had a little pet. It, isn't it weird to be on the other side? I, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. get over it. It's just so cool. It's it's awesome. I think you guys are doing a great job, and this is uh, definitely one of my anticipated mods. So is there anything else you want to say, Bladesinger, before we go on to the next segment? Maybe give us your website or something? Yeah, uh, you can visit us at www.combandestiny.com. Are you French? Swedish. 
Oh, I can't tell the difference between French and Swedish accent. Why are you guys? Wait, are you based in? Are, are all of you based in uh, Sweden? I mean, wait, no. Sweden. Ooh. Is that why it's taking a million seconds for you to respond? Because the internet is too slow for you to actually get any word in without it taking forever? Actually, I have a 100 megabit uh, connection. Oh, that's right. Wow. You bastards in Sweden get that nice internet. Like in Japan. I think I'm going to Sweden, man. Or Switzerland. Screw that. I want 100 megabit. <laughs> Can you imagine how fast you can download porn on that? <laughs> that is cool. Sweden does have a really good pipe. But uh, we're running out of time, and I want to get into our new segment of the show that I mentioned earlier on. And this is the uh, the audio question segment. And last week, Philip was talking about uh, sending in your audio questions, and we got two. One is from Riven from snarkpit.net, and another comes from Bart. And uh, we're going to first play Rivens, and then we're going to discuss it. Uh, so go ahead, Nick, take it away, play the question for us, and uh, then we can talk about it and answer it. This one's a little bit long. I think it's about five minutes. What? Uh-uh. I don't do five-minute questions. I'll be back. <laughs> hey, guys. My name's Riven. I'm a moderator over at snarkpit.net, and I wanted to... Take advantage of your question segment now on the podcast, which I have to say is marvelous, and I hope y'all keep going with it because I love it. My question is, what are your opinions on level layouts? And basically what I mean by this, the way single-player stories specifically, how do they deal with the player moving throughout the story? You know, How do you take the story and transform it into a level? You can go on the Valve developer community to see what I'm talking about. Search category colon theory. And that'll bring you up to a page with a bunch of different subcategories about what I'm going to say. But there are seven that I can think of right now offhand. Here they are, and I'll try to give some descriptions in case you don't understand. The first one is linear path. You go straight forward from A to B, probably some obstacles in your way, but there's nothing else part of the story that breaks off from that path. So it's what they call the golden path, you know, the one way to beat the game. The second one is loops. That's where the player starts at A, and they have to make an entire loop and end up back at A. Or say you're in a hallway and you look to your left and you see like a glass wall. Well, you know you got to get to the other side of that glass wall. So you, you go along the intended path. You essentially make an entire loop to where you're on the other side of that glass wall. And then maybe you press a button and the glass wall opens and you're back where you started. That's a loop. And then, you know, you progress on to some other part of the story. Uh, it's kind of part of linear. It's still part of the golden path, but it's a way of bringing the player back around to the beginning of the level. And the third one is backtracking. A lot of people would be familiar with this layout if you ever play the Halo series. Basically, the player makes their way from the beginning of a level to the end. But the end is actually just the midpoint of the level. The player actually has to return or backtrack through the same level geometry they just went through in order to complete the level. Sure, they might be experiencing new enemy placement and whatnot, but it's still the same area they have to go through. So it's a cheap way for a developer to add on twice the amount of time to an area without actually having to build new level content. So it kind of actually cheats the player out of new content since they are essentially replaying the same area twice over. The fourth one uh, are side paths. Um, that's where you have your intended golden path, and that's still the only way you can go to, in order to beat the game. But you have these side paths that will lead you to you know, some element about the story. They might be optional, even. 
you know, just uh, little things, little nuggets of info that either tell something more about the story or the environment and give way to add depth to an, uh, a level or just, you know, a, a little Easter egg or a goodie or something like that. Um, but eventually the player has to return back onto the golden path in order to beat the game. The fifth one uh, is when you have multiple choices. That's where the player starts at A and they have to go to B and the game's always going to end at B. But between there they have choices one through four. You know, they have to take one, but each one eventually leads up to B. And the only advantage I can think of having these on a level is for replayability. Sure, it's impressive for, uh, you know, the player to see all what the mapper can do by creating four different experiences for the player to travel through in order to get to the end. But in the long run, you know, a lot of people might consider it a waste of time. I know I wouldn't want to try and do that. Maybe two paths, but that's about it. And then the, if the player wanted to, they could go back around and, and experience the other path before they triggered B in order to complete that area of the level or move on. Because um, I know it irritates some players to be going down a path knowing that they're missing something else. And they wouldn't want to restart an entire game just to go back and choose option two, knowing that they're going to end up at B, unless it's on a much larger scale. Uh, the sixth one is kind of the same. I, I call them arena areas or hubs where the, the place the player gets to where they have the option to go any way they want to. Um, and sometimes a lot of people uh, or mappers might make these spots like uh, boss battles or something like that. Kind of just this big event along the linear story path or something that happened. So really not a new type of level layout, but just an important one, you know, that helps break up a linear path of some sort. You know, it's not just an obstacle, it's actually it's an, a part of the world that kind of strikes the player off guard at some point. And the seventh one, probably the, the ultimate, I guess you could say, but we don't see this a lot in first-person shooters, uh, but op open-ended paths. That's basically where the player starts at A, and in order to complete the game, they have to complete objectives A through E, but they can go about it any way they want to, because A through E are all in network. So the player can move from A to D, back to B, then E, and then C, and then finish the level. So it's completely open-ended on their part. And the best way to think about this is if each letter or each hub in this example is like a module kind of like uh, episodes of family guy or something like that where you can experience them in any order you want to but you make sure you have to complete all of them in order to move on so the you know they might have an interconnected story but you can move within them any which way you want to so it, it again gives the player another illusion of choice kind of like what uh, the multiple paths did so knowing that now there's seven of them my direct question to you guys is this can you think of any more types of level layouts that I didn't mention and perhaps elaborate on some of your favorites here? Obviously the best choice would be to use a, a mixture of each of these in order to make a, a good level, a fun level. But, you know, what strikes you as too abstract or maybe doesn't sound very fun? And of course I'm talking about this from a mapper's perspective, but as a fan of single player stories like Half-Life, tell me what you guys would like to experience or enjoy. And you can think of any scenario you want to, but uh, that's all I have to say. Thanks for you guys listening, and I appreciate you answering my question. And if anybody else wants to talk to me about this, you can email me at riven at genesee.net. That's riven at G-E-N-E-C-Y dot net. Thanks again. Can I, can I do go first? Because yeah, go I for actually it. thought about this. Actually, hold on. Hold on. No, wait, 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 wait. I just want to summarize it because it was a little bit long before. I won't talk about it. I'm just going to summarize it. So he has seven gameplay types. The first one is linear. The second one is loops, like uh, kind of like Sven Co-op, actually. The third one's backtracking, like Heart of Evil. And uh, the fourth one is side paths, so um, side quests, not uh, you have to go down the path. The fifth one is multiple choices, so it's not very linear, but it adds replayability. A little bit discouraging, in my opinion. 
The sixth is Arena Hubs, uh, kind of like Side Pass, only um, you enter this hub. And the last one is Open Ended Pass, where you have to eventually go down every path, but it's up to you. So I just wanted to summarize that. So go ahead, Emmanuel. My, I think the perfect and ideal game would be all of them except for backtracking. Backtracking is just an, an honest kick in the balls from a developer, but if you look at, I think in Valve are starting to do it in the end of episode two, they give you the open-ended area where you don't, you're not actually going from point to point, but you're able to complete the mission in your own way. Um, no spoilers if you haven't. Well, actually, if you haven't played Half-Life 2 episode two, go buy, go freaking buy it. Anyways, it's you get to complete the mission in any way you want, but you, as long as you get it completed, and I like. That. But I think if, if for a game to be good, it can't just be one of them. Half-Life notoriously does the linear path. Um, Fallout 3 that just came out that does the open-ended A to D to C to E if you want whatever way you want to do it but I think a good game will have all of them and a developer shouldn't worry about trying to make some radical new idea but instead expanding on what has already worked and then going through with that I mean could you imagine a mod where you could go through and do the linear bits and then have the open-ended bits where you'll decide where to go next and then have decisions where you have three or four decisions and if you make the Whatever one you make means you're going to be going another way. So that way in the future you can come back to the game and play it again and make different decisions. It adds replay value. But at the same time, you're not doing the same thing over and over. I think right. that would be great. I think there's a lot of good points that uh, Riven made. And it's such an excellent question. And we talk about it all the time, the different type of map gameplay types. Um, some of the downfalls, especially with backtracking. Backtracking, everybody hates backtracking. And Heart of Evil is notorious for this. Um, this is a ex perfect example of why Philip hates backtracking. And uh, what Riven says is that backtracking allows developers to have twice the amount of content with only one times the amount of work. And I think it's just such a cop-out. You can do backtracking right, but uh, most of the times backtracking is done like horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. Um, side paths are interesting, but side paths are only interesting when the reward is great enough. Um, you should, as a developer, you should introduce a side path, um, a really simple side path, but show the player that uh, these side paths give out great rewards. Not just, you know, like a stupid health pack, and I lost more health than I gained going down the side path, but something interesting or something like an Easter egg, like Riven said. Um, multiple choices, on the other hand, replayability. Um, I love replayability, but in single player, it's a little bit discouraging. I think you can better get that using open-ended paths, and I think, in my opinion, open-ended paths are the best type of gameplay mechanic for maps. Um, I can't really think of anything else. This really does cover it all. Can anybody think of any other types of map designs? Um, no map designs come to mind, per se, but I'm going to throw my two cents in here. Yeah, I am 100% with everyone in here that backtracking is the absolute sin of a mapper to do. And I know I mentioned this last time when I was on. Heart of Evil Napalm Edition, by the way, does not have these problems. So if you like, hated Heart of Evil for those reasons, then be sure to try Napalm Edition with its new maps. Anyway, shameless plug gone. Um, the really, like, there is, the only way that I see that you can do backtracking right is that if I only have to go through maybe a tenth of what I already had gone through, and it needs to be on fire and exploding so I have to leave. Like Max Payne. <laughs> like, that's the only way that, to me, you can do backtracking is that, haha, the level's blowing up, take that for making me walk through here again. Um, 
when it comes to multiple paths and open-endedness, I don't know, maybe it's, I, I think it has to do with the kind of gamer I am. I do not like multiple choice paths because I'm a really busy guy. When I sit down and play a game, I'm going to play it once to get to the ending. That is my objective. I want to beat the game. I am less likely to replay a game if it has multiple paths than if it just has one because I know what I'm getting. Whereas opposed to the multiple paths, I just don't want to play the game from scratch just to get a variation. Like, if the multiple paths appear at the middle of a game, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do save states to where I know the, uh, the break-off is, and I'm not even going to play the other parts of the game. I'm just going to play the little different bits, and I probably won't even play the game to the end. I'll just be like, oh, okay, it's like, uh, if the game has six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, and three is where the, pre the break-off happens with 3A, 3B, 3C, I'm going to go back and play 3A, 3B, 3C. But I'm not going to continue past that, you know? So, it's good, but to me it's just extra levels. Right. Um, I actually did that with Combine Destiny 2, and I want to hear Heinrich's opinion on this. Do you guys think of different level designs when you're developing con uh, Combine Destiny 2? Oh, I think well, Heinrich it's basically only me making the maps this time, so lots of them get linear because that's what I do. Um, have you ever tried using other types of uh, map design elements, though? And what do you think of some of the design elements? Yeah, well, I think all of them are great, except backtracking. Um, I, I do have a try um, when you go around and find other ways or so, but, well... I don't want to... Well, uh, going back to what uh, editor said earlier, I don't think that... Uh, that it's a bad thing to have an open-ended game. I actually was a proponent of linear games too. As long as the game lets you go linear, like, I, I'm going to go back to Fallout 3 again. Uh, you can't, it is open-ended and you can go in any way you want, but you do have the option of just following the story and essentially making it linear if you don't want to waste your time just running around a huge open environment for hours and hours and hours. I actually hate the open-ended thing too, but at least it gives you a feeling of, well, I make the decisions, this is, it makes it a little bit more immersive. I actually just remembered another type of map type, and we talked about it already today, and that's what I like to call the horde map type. And uh, a perfect example of this is the Starship Troopers map, where you're just in one area, and you have to fight off a horde of enemies, and either you win by a sort of time default, or um, or you just don't win at all. It just goes on forever. And I think this is another really, really bad gameplay mechanic. Um, it can be done right, and it can be done interesting, but usually it's done wrong. And my second point here is, when does the amount of time and effort needed to use a specialized mapping type um, overpower the you know the amount of work put into it? Like, for example, a linear map is really easy to make. Um, you don't even have to have much planning. You just build room after room after room in a linear fashion. Whereas, say, an open-ended path, you really have to sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and draw it out and make sure you know, um, you know what you're going to be doing and make sure it all fits in together. Uh, even with uh, the multiple choices, uh, with they all eventually conglomerated back into one. That's another perfect example of you really have to plan out your maps, and uh, I think that's where the difficulty comes in with some of these game plan mechanics. But I think it's an excellent question, and uh, a lot more develop a lot 
more developers out there have to be conscious of what kind of uh, maps they're creating and what they want to achieve. And, you know, also to make something different. So anyway, um, that's our first question from Riven. Um, obviously, if you guys out there, any of the listeners out there, have any additions, you can add them into the comments. If you have any other uh, gameplay types that we didn't discuss here, um, obviously you can email Riven and put it in the comments of the podcast and, uh, you know, have your own little mini discussion. And if Nick is back, then we can play um, the audio clip too. So go ahead and play the clip from Bart. This is a little bit shorter. Hi there. I'm Bart, a.k.a. 904 on the forum, and I've got a question that requires a bit of an introduction. After playing Half-Life 2, Valve announced episodic content, and I believe that one of the main reasons was shorter development cycles. And with great anticipation, I waited for episode 1, which was great, and then episode 2 was announced, and Portal tagged along, and TF2 came, and by that time I was more interested in Portal than in episode 2. And at this moment, I'm more interested in a sequel to Portal and the developments on how it ties in with Half-Life than the third episode itself. Now, it's been four years since the release of Half-Life 2, and at this point, we've only seen two episodes and some side projects. And I don't expect episode three until late next year, so that would mean five years of development for the three episodes. For me, Half-Life has lost momentum, and I begin to feel that this episodic adventure has failed. What do you guys think? Oh, I think that's another really, really good question um, from Bart. Um, the episode content, the initial skew was a good idea from Valve. They said, hey, we're going to be like releasing a new episode. I can't remember, but it was something like every six months or every, every year. And uh, in my opinion, I think they did the wrong thing with releasing episode two with Portals. Because it really did take out a lot of the flair of Half-Life 2, or Episode 2, because Portals was so new. And Episode 2 was, I mean, it was new, it had new content, but there was not no real new gameplay mechanic. It was for the people who liked the story. So uh, I do think Half-Life is losing some of its momentum, but I think when Episode 3 comes out, um, it will gain a lot more momentum. I just hope they don't package it with Portals 2 or something. You know, it's it's that's a weird question, because... On one on one side, you know, we don't like episodic content because it they're not doing it right. They're what we're going to be looking at a two year interval essentially for each episode. That's a long time. Uh, I mean, when you've got a company like Valve where they don't release things unless it's a hundred percent ready and done and perfect in every way, you know, it's hard to to have it work. But I mean, I remember when the Sin episodes were coming out, it seemed well. It seemed like their cup of tea because they could bang it out. They didn't care that it wasn't, you know, perfect, and that was fine. But you know, when you've got Gabe Newell looking over your shoulder saying this has got to be the best in the world or it's not going to get released, it's kind of, uh, I'm sure it's it's stressful for the developers. So, um, I think it it has worked in the sense that the games themselves are absolutely brilliant, but I don't think it's worked in a business perspective where they're coming out once every two years, and it's kind of annoying because we want to get them faster, obviously. Keep in mind, they are doing things like like Left 4 Dead and the sequel to Portal and Team Fortress 2, so we can't just look at Half-Life. I think when you look at Valve, you have to look at every product they release. So I'll put it like this. In terms of Half-Life, no, episode of content does not work. In terms of Valve's company, I mean, Valve is in a, in a, in, in a business model, 
Yes, it does work because they're releasing content con uh, consistently. You've got TF2 updates every few months. You've got Left 4 Dead that just came out. You've got news for um, for all their other stuff uh, like Counter-Strike Source, Day Defeat Source, all the stuff they're maintaining. So in a long-winded response, that's my answer. But in the short response, I guess in terms of for Half-Life, no, it isn't working. And I think uh, when when Valve announced the episodic content, it was still fairly a new idea. Um, I mean, at the time, you didn't have the whole Sam and Max episode content, or even you know the new Strong Bad episode content sort of coming out. Instant episodes wasn't out either, so it was kind of hard to jump on board and understand it even. And uh, I don't know. I think they got comfortable with people not understanding episodic content. And they got comfortable with people not caring how long it was going to be released for episode one and into episode two. But now we're at a time where there's other development groups um, like Telltale Games that are doing great episodic content and doing it right. But now um, we're criticizing Valve because they're not doing it right. I mean, they started really doing episodic content, but they didn't live up to their promises. It's making a lot of people upset. Um, I don't know why they just don't stick to the old way of doing things and say, um, you know, even Half-Life 3, Half-Life 4, Half-Life 5, I would be okay with that, really. Um, I just don't want them to promise me something and just not deliver it. Well, I mean, but keep in mind, you have to look at it from the business perspective, too. They're not EA. They're a company of 180 employees, um, developers, that is. So is it 180? I'm, I know it's not a lot. I know it's it's a moderate amount. So you it, put yourself in Gabe Noel's shoes. A, you can hire 500 more people and get stuff banged out every two and a half minutes, or you can leave it to the small and qualified team that's notorious for good content and keep on releasing steak every week as opposed to hamburger meat every day. So it's you know it's 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 tough, I'm sure, but give it time and I'm sure they'll they'll get into their niche. It's just keep in mind how old is is you know the company itself. It's not it's just over a decade old, so. How long did it take EA to to get out of its uh, bootsies and actually into working boots and get pumping out? Yeah, that's another really really good point too. And let's not let's not forget that uh, you made a point that Valve is releasing other things too. So it's not like they're saying, "Hey, um, we're going to be releasing episodic content," and then it's just dormant yeah. forever. You know, so. I mean, if you like, for instance, the team who did Mirror's Edge or Fallout Three, Bethesda, who did Fallout Three. They are working on Fallout 3. The other teams are working on what they're working on. Valve, could you imagine going to work and not knowing what you're going to be working on? You have four or five projects to be working on, and you've got to get them out on certain release dates and make sure that the community in each one of them is happy. And, and don't forget, you've still got Steam in the back of your head because you've got to keep that rolling, and especially with now you've got competitors coming out. I'm sure it's not easy. It's just I think they're going through a weird time right now where they have to decide which IPs are more important than which, and hopefully they can get a team of, of people hired to, to kind of alleviate that stress, but we'll see. I mean, if he if, if, if Gabe and the rest of the, the people at Valve can come out essentially in a decade and bang out some of the best PC games ever made, then I think they'll be able to, to handle that. Yeah, just you have some really good points. Thomas or Heinrich, anything? Uh, yep. Again, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the opposite side of the hill here. Um, I think that how they've done episodic content has been a complete success. Now, the reason I say that is you need to look at some some numbers and figures here. Half Life One, November 1998, 
Half-Life 2, November 2004. That's a six-year gap, okay? Now, in a arguably four- to five-year gap, we've seen Team Fortress 2, Portal, Left 4 Dead, Episodes 1 and 2. So, to say that episodic content is not working and it's not getting out on time, they're pretty much producing an episode that's about a third or a fourth of the complete length of the Half-Life 2 game, well, about one every two years. And that, to me, is incredibly acceptable, not only for the quality that they're putting out, but you're essentially chopping up um, Half-Life 3 or whatever and releasing it in three different parts that all together make up the length of a full game, as they advertise. And it's going to take roughly the same amount of time as a regular game, but we'll be getting the content a lot quicker. And in that sense, I think they've succeeded quite well. And while, yes, other companies, I'm sure, have done episodic content better, to say that Valve has failed is, uh, I think it's a detriment to them. I never, uh, I never said, I, I never I said agree, Valve failed. Well, you have to look at it like this. If you want to look at it in terms of Half-Life's just by itself, then yes, they have they haven't failed, but they haven't been uh, you know 100% they haven't been at at their best. But if you're looking at them in terms of their entire product line, then yes, they have been incredibly successful because they've been banging out all these all these concepts and IPs and doing a good job of it as well. They haven't released anything bad. Even Left 4 Dead, something that wasn't initially their IP, ended up being brilliant. Um, on to the second part of his question, though. I just don't want to forget this part. Um, what Bart was saying is Portal kind of drew away some of the attention of Episode 2. And I think that's somewhat true. Um, I'm a Half-Life fan, true and true. But uh, I, I, don't, I think there's a lot of people out there who got more interested in Portals than they did in Episode 2. And do you think that people are starting to lose interest in Half-Life because of the other IPs, like TF2, Left 4 Dead, Portal? Of course, but in a way, I think it, it's helped too because I can't tell you how many people that I met that normally would never play Half-Life 2 uh, Episode 2 have ended up playing Half-Life 2 or Episode 1 or 2 because it was included in the orange box. So, Right, I think that's and it's a good way of drawing more people in and keeping more people, which is another good point. I mean, we look at two types of gamers, and one we would say as Philip, and another we would say as Emmanuel. Philip loves single-player games, so Valve is delivering the single-player games. Whereas Emmanuel loves multiplayer games, and Valve is also developing the multiplayer game, so the Left 4 Dead aspect of it, and uh, the TF2 aspect of it. I think Valve is starting to realize that um, with Half-Life 1, I mean, the deathmatch was good, but it wasn't as good as, say, something uh, on a completely different tangent, like, say, Counter-Strike and TFC. I'm not a big fan of Counter-Strike, but it was better than Half-Life Deathmatch. Um, so I think Valve is realizing that, and they're creating their own separate multiplayer environments in different IPs. That's how they're attracting both audiences, and that's how they're keeping it. I think that's a really good strategy that a lot of development groups aren't doing right now. So anyway, um, I don't I don't want to say they're losing the interest. They are. There are a lot a lot of people who care more about portals at this point than um, Half Life Two. But as soon as they release Episode Three, they'll just bring those people back in because they're keeping the fan base in their own environment. They're not moving them them to different environments. I mean, they're not moving outside of the Valve realm. They're not playing, say, games from EA or, um, I don't know, Blizzard, or they're not getting into the MMO rut of things. But uh, they're keeping them within their own community, and that's extremely important. Because once you have them in your own community, you can talk to them, and you can keep them informed about other things. Because you have them locked. Valve has us all locked. That's what it's about. But anyway, 
I think those are two very good questions. Does anybody else have anything to say? Video games? Also, uh, I don't... I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Valve and I love Steam, but I, I hate to look up to Valve and just trust them because as we speak, all pretty much 50 to 60% of the games I own are residing on my Steam account, and if Gabe gets tired of me calling him fat, he could just delete my account and I lose all my games. That kind of scares me. <laughs> yeah, Valve's kind of like the Google complex. You have to trust them. Ugh. I have <laughs> a hard okay. time doing that. <laughs> anyway, um, we have two more segments. Uh, first off, we got Website of the Week. And this week, we're going to be talking about hl2mods.co.uk. And uh, it's a pretty good site. I was thinking about doing a site like this. Uh, they got a lot of work to do. I mean, their theme still needs a lot of work. But uh, they keep updating with new mods and everything, and it looks pretty cool. Basically, what you can do is this. It's basically this search. Um, you have pull-down windows at the top. You say whether or not you want an action, RPG, strategy, fantasy, racing, or any. And then you can say single-player or multiplayer. And then you can say whether or not it's released or not, and you go show. And it'll uh, print off all the mods that may be of interest to you. So it's a good way of just grabbing what you like and what's interesting to you. I don't think there's a site that really does this other than ModDB, but with ModDB you have to um, rubid, rummage through everything that's already there. I, I think there just needs to be a site dedicated to only this. I like uh, I like sites like Planet Phillip and Planet Half-Life where it just kind of, just through updates of mods and, and reviews and previews, you kind of get a feel for what you want to play or what you don't want to play. I mean, don't get, I mean, I get it's a great system, don't get me wrong, but I prefer to just refresh Planet, fill up every day instead. Oh yeah, me too, but if there's something, um, say if I'm bored one day, and I'm like, I really want to play a Half-Life mod, um, but I'm not sure what to play, I'll just go to this site, pull down what I want, and just hit search, and I'll be like, oh, okay, this one sounds cool, let's try this one out. Um, Thomas? Any ideas on this? And, and you know, it's kind of a little bit like Half-Life Creations almost, but Half-Life Creations is hosting mods, so you have a list of your hosted mods. Yeah, like, I I hate to say that this is almost, that I have a fear that this is going to be coming a watered-down genre of web pages that everyone wants to create a database of a whole bunch of list of mods, and it's a hell of a lot of work. Like, uh, Planet Phillip, I think, is probably the largest one around, to my knowledge, and, well, we all know how hard he doesn't work to keep that thing going. So, if you're going to do it, you need to do it right and spend copious amounts of time with it, because you need to go out and actively collect the information. And uh, that can be pretty difficult. Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting site. Um, there's, right now, there's not really a site that exists kind of like this, except for, like I said, ModDB, where you can search a genre. Um, but I, I'd probably still stick to the the new sites like PHL, Planet Half-Life, the whole Half-Life, things like that. Planet Phillip. Anyway, um, so our video of the week this week is uh, Philip supplies us with this. I've seen this video before, and I've seen many videos like it, but it's uh, using the Wiimote to play Half-Life 2 on your computer, and we'll provide you with the link. Um, so, And through that, you could find the link of how to do it yourself, so it's uh, kind of interesting if you have a Wiimote and a Nintendo Wii. I think this is a little bit gimmicky. I, I've done it before, and uh, it's easy enough to do. It just doesn't feel as good as a mouse and keyboard. Yeah, I've also seen this video. It's uh, kind of old hat at this point. It 
was released in December of 06. And, like, you have to look at it, and, yeah, it's Half-Life 2, but it could have easily been any game. Like, it's simply just, you know, showing the technology that the Wii Remote can offer. And you could waste hours and hours and hours talking about that. Yeah, there's actually a better technology out there for the Wiimote. Um, maybe Nick can get the name. He showed it to me earlier. It was on uh, Gadget, And uh, the things they were doing with this technology, they were still using the Wiimote, but it was just a different way to read um, the Wiimote's input and output. Um, it was just so astounding. And the different things they were doing, it was so much better than the Wii could ever deliver. And like I said, it was still just using the Wiimote. And not even the new Wii Motion Plus, if anybody knows what that is. But it was still pretty impressive. Just out of curiosity, Emmanuel, what do you think of the Wii? Uh, do you really want me to tell you? Yeah, well, we keep it PG. Oh, then I don't really have much to say if you want a PG. Honestly, though, <laughs> I, I hate, I, I respect it in the same way I respect a toaster. It performs a service, and it is purchased for that service, and the service is in no way respectable and or admirable to me. It just, it serves, it, it, it has a few good games if you're six years old, and the rest of the console is just, I mean, I have maybe four or five friends who own a Wii, and I've never seen them play it, except when there's people over and we're playing like Wii bowling or something, and even then it's only for 10 minute intervals because we were bored because we realized we're not 15. So... If you're six years old, great, get a Wii. Otherwise, stick to the PC or a 360. Lies. <laughs> it's a terrible console. You're Thomas terrible. Really? I have a Wii. Actually, I have. Wii. I have had. Ex- I have experience with all three of the consoles, and I can tell you why the Wii is better than all of them. Now, I'm gonna say that the Wii does not have graphics. Fine. But at least it doesn't break like a piece of shit like the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 do. The PlayStation 3 removed backwards compatibility from its systems. I have no interest in it now. The Xbox 360 has a 35% chance of breaking within its three-year extended warranty period that Microsoft had to offer or the console is going to be pulled by the Electronics Commission. That's how bad it is. The Wii at least doesn't break. And here's the thing. The Wii tried something new. The other consoles, for Christ's sake, the PlayStation 3 is still using the same damn controller after three systems. What the hell? And the Xbox 360, the only people that play that are the uneducated folks that live up on the oil rigs. No offense to you guys, you're some of my best customers. <laughs> but I just, like, no one bought a 360 unless it was for Halo, you know? It, it just, ugh. And the, at least the Nintendo Wii, it has promised to go places. It has the ability to use peripherals that aren't, you know, cop-outs like uh, stupid little guns that you plug into a 360. This actually has motion sensor capture. It's just, ugh. To say that the Wii is bad is to say that you've never played it and owned it. Because there are good games like Call of Duty 3, Medal of Honor Vanguard, Medal of Honor uh, Heroes 2, and they are good games. You cannot tell me that Super Smash Bros. Brawl is not a good game. That thing is amazing and it has online play. And to say that it is only meant if you are six years old is complete garbage. Yes, the library is more diverse than any of the other consoles, and that's a good thing because that makes it wanted by more demographic. And Yeah, but keep in mind, you can return. Once it does explode in the two-year warranty, fine, you know, replace it. 
but your Wii is going to last forever, which makes it worse because you're going to have to sit there staring at that white little piece of crap for your entire life thinking, what could have been if I had just picked up a 360? Because Super Smash Brothers, don't get me wrong, is an epic game, but it does not warrant a $150 purchase or $250 purchase just to play it. I mean, don't get, I love to play it at a friend's house because it's the only good game to play, but I'd rather spend my money on something else, like cocaine or a PlayStation 3. You know what? Um, I can say that I own all three um, platforms. Uh, sitting right next to me is an Xbox 360, a PS3, an Xbox, a Wii, and my MacBook. But uh, I right now, I'm playing my PS3 the most, mainly because I got accepted in the home beta. But uh, And the only reason I have an Xbox 360 is because of how unreliable it is. I'll just tell you a really quick story. I went to a pawn shop. And the day Microsoft extended their warranties um, to, like, lifetime warranties because there are three red lights, I went to a pawn shop and I picked up a broken 360 for $50, which was past its warranty date, but you could still send it in because Microsoft announced this new thing. I picked it up for 50 bucks. I sent it to Microsoft, and in, like, six weeks, I got a brand-new Xbox 360 with the new um, processor and everything, and controller, and cables, everything, for 50 bucks. So that's the only reason I really have an Xbox 360. But uh, I enjoy the Wii. My girlfriend and I love the Wii. We play uh, Mario Kart a lot online, and I think Mario Kart online is, like, way better than any online game that I've played on 360 or PS3. But uh, those are my opinions. We won't get too much into it, but uh, I think it's cool. The Wii is innovative. Can I add one more thing? I want to add one more thing. Sure. You just brought it up. Is that I can actually play the Wii with my girlfriend, and she is not a gamer. And to actually have to play a game with someone that's not a gamer is so much fun because they actually enjoy it. Like, my girlfriend is not a gamer by any stretch of the imagination, but we'll play on the Wii, like the stupid little games. But you know what? It's great because I... It's one of those things that I always wish I could do more is, you know share my gaming experiences with my family members that aren't so adept, and I can do that. But if I hand them an Xbox 360 or PlayStation 3 controller, it's like I just handed them the Rosetta Stone and say, here, translate it. You've got 10 seconds. <laughs> anyway, um, that is the end of our show. I know we kind of got off topic there, not on the topic of Half-Life, but still a good topic anyway. Um, I just... No, it's, re- it's, it's relevant because when Valve poured Half-Life to Wii, then, you know, we've got a head start. <laughs> uh, they're not. They're not ever going to port anything to PS3. I know that they've said uh, they don't want to hire PS3 developers. They don't care. So, anyway, that's just a little quick tidbit. Um, I'd like to thank our guests, of course, um, editor and uh, Emmanuel Thomas and Emmanuel, um, for returning. It's always good to see returning guests. And of course, I'd like to thank Heinrich uh, Blade Singer from uh, Combined Destiny Two. That's uh, www.combinedestiny2.com, and uh, you can check out that mod. I'd like to thank you all for being on the show. You guys have been great guests. It's been a great episode today. Has anyone else missed Philip? Because I haven't. If anything, I think this is a step forward in terms of Podcast 17, and I think that without him, we'll be able to achieve new new heights and goals, and I think this is a good. This is good. We should probably keep doing this without oh, him. Uh... Excuse me, I meant CombineDestiny.com, not Combine Destiny 2, so don't go to Combine Destiny 2. Go to CombineDestiny.com. And I no, miss Philip. I like Philip. No, no, I no, I I miss making fun of him, and I miss, you know, the accent, but 
that's that's about it. Uh, Thomas, you have any Help. plugs? Help! I'm tied up in Tom's basement. Come get me out. <laughs> Wait, how come how come I don't get a plug? Okay, Planet Half Life. Done. No, 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 <laughs> not Planet Half Life. I want to plug something else. Okay, go for it. Plug whatever you want, Emmanuel. All right, I would like to plug formula1.com that's with the number 1 because the new season coming up 2009 is going to be biblical and I think everyone who wasn't a fan should become one so get on that <laughs> Thomas any plugs before we close up go to half life creations for the best hosting for your modifications if you don't I'll kill Ooh. you that's a good that's good I like that that rhyme Yep, that's true. And, uh, of course, we'd like to thank you guys, the listeners. Check out www.podcast17.com, and uh, you can also email us at feedback at podcast17.com. And don't forget to email us those audio questions. You saw that you can get your voice on the show fairly easily. You just need, like, audacity and a microphone and, like, some common sense and, uh, obviously, email. And then you can go ahead and send us some stuff. Actually, that's kind of a lot of stuff you need. But uh, it's still really easy. So don't forget... Check out uh, www.podcast17.com, email us your questions, and uh, don't forget to participate in the survey that's at the top of our page. And I think that's another episode of Complete.